know, I've, I've run a lot of companies in the past in every sector you can imagine, and I've never had the opportunity. Uh, you know, and sometimes I guess this sometimes can feel like a curse as well, but I've never had the opportunity to run a company essentially almost like in, in, in a uh, reality show. Right. Essentially, 24-7, you are under the light, literally, uh, in the spotlight, and people can ask you questions anytime they want. They have constant access. And, you know, initially, that was, that was pretty difficult. It, it was hard because, you know, as a CEO of a company, you have a fiduciary responsibility normally to your shareholders. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, you know, to your clients, and then, you know, depending on what type of company you have, you have other fiduciary responsibilities. Here, though, especially in a tokenized entity, you, I have fiduciary responsibilities not only to shareholders, but to token holders. And mm-hmm. on top of that, obviously, clients. And many, most of our clients are token holders. Mm-hmm. And then we have this aspect of community. And so, you know, I got to be honest, initially, it was, it was difficult to figure out how to prioritize between those very different and very important sectors of our business. Uh, but at the end of the day, we've, I think, adjusted to the point where community has become such a massive aspect of our business. Our investors are now part of our community. Obviously, our clients are part of our community. We have people that aren't clients that are part of our community. And it really gives us this massive springboard where we can be just ultra transparent and ultra honest, ask questions, get feedback, understand, look, does this something you want? Does this work for you? Why doesn't it work for you? Um, and it's really allowed us to fine tune not only our product base and, and the services we offer, but it's given us the ability to to kind of, I guess, be a better company. Because you're kind, when you do something wrong, not only, you don't have to wait for a board meeting to talk to an investor to let them know you did something wrong. You're going to find out about it immediately and in mass. Hmm. Uh, and, I, and I think now, if you ask me whether that's you know good or bad, I would say it's it's huge and it's good. It's it's massive and it's probably one of the best things we've built in terms of a company is our community. Hello, welcome to another episode of the future of here at Nordic Fintech Magazine. My name is Chris, I'm head of content. And today we're gonna to be talking about the crypto space. Now, as you probably know, retail banking investors usually get the short end of the stick when it comes to investment, and they miss out on opportunities that are available to those who understand the financial system. With Web3 and the crypto space, the financial service industry is taking gigantic leaps towards a new financial system. One that is fairer, more accessible, and secure. A company that is pioneering the development of this industry through transparency, simplicity, and strong regulation is the Estonian frontrunner CoinMetro. We had an opportunity to speak to its CEO and founder, Kevin Merko, to understand how Web3 is changing investing for retail customers and traders, and the traditional role that regulation plays in all of it. In this interview, you'll learn more about how clean, smart regulation can ensure that clients don't lose access to opportunity while injecting transparency into the system and removing the complexity that stops many of us from accessing the market in the first place. You'll be hooked by listening to Kevin's insights and passion for spearheading the development of this very vibrant space. Uh, so Kevin, uh, it's great to meet you. Thank you so t- so so much for taking time to speak to us. Uh, thank you very much for the invite. All right, uh, let's start. Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us who you are and what it is that you do. Sure. So my name is Kevin Merkel. I'm CEO at Coin Metro. I have about 20 years of experience in traditional finance, mainly through the FX or foreign exchange sector. And around 2014, in that in that business in the FX business, I started to get asked a lot of questions about Bitcoin. And personally, I have been mining Bitcoin since 2009 on an iMac in the corner of my office. Uh, So I had a lot of experience already. I was in the Bitcoin talk forum when the famous Laszlo pizza transaction happened. Uh, So I I was pretty much embedded in the community. 
though on the business side, I wasn't doing much. So I was very involved in FX. That took up a lot of, or most of my time. And so I didn't have a lot of time really to spend on the business side of crypto until roughly 2014. Clients started asking me, look, can we get exposure to Bitcoin? And that seemed like a pretty simple thing, or a simple question, I should say, which I thought might have a simple answer. And so I started to delve into where liquidity was in Bitcoin, how I could possibly connect to APIs or some form of electronic connection to be able to offer liquidity to my clients in the FX space. And well, it was impossible. So whatever, what was available at the time just wasn't up to par to offer to any type of client base, retail, institutional, or, or otherwise. And so that kind of started my journey on the business side. And fast forward to 2017, CoinMetro kind of became a thing. We, we did our ICO. Uh, on the back of my experience in retail, it was kind of a perfect place that I thought I could get my toes wet inside of crypto was also servicing the retail market. Right, okay, so uh, just for those who might not know, tell us, uh, tell us about CoinMetro's value proposition and, and specifically tell us what problem it's solving in the market. Absolutely, so like every retail market, there is a litany of problems in crypto when it comes to retail. And the main reason for that is, well, retail traders and retail investors are usually underserviced. We talk a lot about non-banked people around the world or underbanked. Well, in most retail sectors, uh, whether, whether you be an investor, whether you be a trader, you are underserviced 100%. That comes from a lot of different angles. So for CoinMetro, you know, our, our, our main mission here, or our vision, is to take modern financial solutions and combine those with the power of community to just make sure that everyone everywhere has access to those life-changing opportunities that generally don't cross your path when you're a retail investor or trader. And so where those problems lie? Well, transparency is a big one. You know, you don't get a lot of information. It's hard to get that information. You have to deal with maybe counterparties that you don't necessarily know, that don't know you. Uh, complex trading solutions or complex investing solutions with really tough UI. I think crypto still suffers, you know, from an issue with just complex user interfaces. It can be the learning curve to get into crypto for most people is, well, substantial. It can be difficult for people to understand. So what we do here is we make sure, one, that there is transparency. We have 24-7 customer support as well to make sure that that journey uh, through, you know, crypto or just into finance in general is an easy one. Mm -hmm. They speak your language. We have a 4.8 rating on Trustpilot, which I believe is the highest in the industry for that same reason. And we make sure that that UI, that complex kind of interface, is just brought down to a level where everyone can understand. And if you don't understand it, well, you got 24-7 customer support standing by to make sure that you do. It's just a different approach, I think. We're very, we're very pro-regulation. We've been pro-regulation since 2017. And when I say pro-regulation, I don't mean we like all regulation. I don't mean that we stand by, you know, legislators and regulators and give them a thumbs up every time they make a decision. But we like to try and change things from the inside. I think we need dynamic regulation. I think we need specific regulation for specific pieces of our ecosystem. The only way to really get that done is to do that from the inside and help legislators and regulators understand what our position is so we can better help our clients. Right, okay. Uh, I'd like to just take, take a step back and perhaps for those who might not understand uh, much about crypto economies, uh, if I understand correctly, uh, CoinMetro is, is, a, is, a, is a crypto exchange, right? That, that, that's one piece of it, sure. That, I think that's the easiest way to describe us, though. In reality, there's there's a lot more be under the hood, uh, as one would say. Right. Okay. And and I think we'll get to that in in a minute. But just let's let's just lay the foundation. Tell us what is a crypto exchange and why do we need them? Sure. So you can think of in many ways a crypto exchange as kind of the bank for the new alternative financial system. Mm -hmm. 
And so when you think of a bank, you think of a place that you can put money, invest money, potentially receive additional services, not even tied to the money you have in your bank. Could be, you know, insurance, could be things like, uh, you know, other types of investments outside of the general scope of what the bank offers, et cetera. But your bank is kind of a conduit. It is a gatekeeper. It is a door into the financial ecosystem, right? Normally, if you don't have a bank account, you can't really transact. You know, if you want, if you want, whether it comes to pay your bills, whether it comes to, uh, you know, actually travel and be able to pay money in other countries without having that bank, you're kind of stuck and you're, and you're outside of the financial ecosystem. And so exchanges are very much the same thing for the crypto ecosystem, for this new age financial ecosystem. We essentially allow you to move between different assets, whether that be what we like to call an in industry fiat, not the car. But fiat, in case you don't know, actually means by decree. Yeah. So it's simple money that has its value because it's given to it by decree. Someone says this piece of paper is worth one dollar, one euro, one pound. Actually, well, there's no one pound notes, but you get my point. Yeah.、Uh, at the end of the day, it just means that someone put the power behind that, behind that piece of paper, or that coin. And so you can take those those paper notes or those coins, and you can transfer them into digital assets, whether that be Bitcoin, Ethereum, or a myriad of other assets. Uh, and so that's the general idea of an exchange. You're exchanging one thing for another. However, on the back of that, we also give access, like banks do, to this whole new ecosystem, this whole new financial ecosystem that allows you to kind of profit from many different things、uh, inside of of the crypto space. Right. Okay. So we've we've seen a, an increase in 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 exchanges over the past several years. I think we have something like four, five hundred、uh, upwards uh, globally.、Um, You've already mentioned that 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 Coinmetrics focuses on transparency,、uh, on on customer support with 24/7 availability.、Uh, that you're keen on regulation.、Uh, tell us why else would customers choose to use Coinmetro as opposed to any of the other exchanges? Well, you know, back in my FX days, we had a, we'd get similar questions, and and the businesses are very similar. So I'm going to give you a bit of an analogy back in those days. So there was a very similar push. With FX, that there isn't crypto in terms of regulation, in terms of understanding of retail clients, in terms of how people got involved in the market and, and kind of what they did inside that market, i.e., trading currencies. And in the in the late 1990s, the market was unregulated, very similar to what crypto was just a few years ago. Almost no regulation. At that time, a lot of regulators went around and said, you know, this is a very difficult market.、Uh, you shouldn't get into it. There's a lot of fraud. There's a lot of scams. They basically tried to stop the retail public from getting involved in currency trading.、Mm-hmm. Fast forward a few years, regulation came in because they realized that well, they're not going to stop with just a few words on a screen. They're not going to stop people from investing or trading. And so regulation came out, regulated the industry.、We're, we were in a very similar place a few years ago in crypto, where there was no regulation. And and while I like I said, we are pro regulation, but I'm also and have been. And was a retail trader, and have been a trader for for many many years. You know, going on over two decades, and so I understand the retail trader plight. And that plight is, and and even more so with the spotlight of crypto. In crypto, a lot of crypto traders, crypto investors, assumed that regulation would be a bad thing for the market, i.e., that it would cause some type of ripple in the market that would not allow them to get access to certain things, that would potentially block them from getting involved in certain opportunities. And while that could be true, meaning that could be an eventuality if market players like CoinMetro weren't involved to make sure that regulation was a bit smarter this time around, what regulation does do is it helps you understand where you should be putting your money, what partners you should be using. It provides some form of、uh, transparency, and it also provides some form of just a trust trust mechanism. So you know 
that if a company is doing the right thing, more than likely, that's going to be someone you're going to want to partner with. And so I think when you look around at those 500 plus exchanges or how many still exist, one, I would say that if you look about how many banks there are in the world, there's way more than 500. And I think what we need to also understand is that as this economy grows, as this digital economy grows, as the crypto market in general matures and we get more mature assets and more mature uh, uh, companies creating assets, we're going to need a lot of places where people can onboard into mm-hmm. and also transact inside of this ecosystem. So while I don't think 500 is a lot, I think generally right now with our rate of adoption and just the lack of overall regulation, we're going to see a lot of those 500 go away. And for very simple reasons, and like you said, I already touched on in in the previous question, and that's one is transparency. When you're dealing, when you're moving funds, especially digitally, and you're going into a market you don't understand, a niche market, uh, it's going to be, you need someone to talk to. You need someone you can bounce questions off of. Someone has to be there. You need to understand what's going on. And the vast majority of platforms simply don't put the client first, right? They 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 put their business first, uh, and the client becomes second. Even some of the biggest names in crypto, if you read stories from 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21, when you know we were into bull markets and there were lots of new clients flooding the market, people were waiting months for an answer. Months, even if the question was as simple as how do I open an account at your exchange? How do I open an account? How do I you know service my account? How do I deposit funds? months waiting for an answer and that's just unacceptable so i think you know coinmetric positions themselves in a pretty unique way and i think that is when you come into crypto for the first time you're probably going to end up at a a bigger name right whether that be a very well-known name like coinbase for example that that operates globally Mm -hmm. they do a lot of a lot of money to churn at clients in and out what that means is is a lot of clients come in and get they're upset for some reason and they go somewhere else and they look for for something that's going to solve a problem they still have and some of those problems are going to be UX related, UI UX, like I already talked about, which is just their inability to understand how to navigate the platform. Mm-hmm. Some of those are going to be because they just don't get the support they need. And others are going to be because they just don't feel part of something. And I think especially with new, gen- new generations, uh, you know, I have three daughters and range from 11 to 27. And each one of those it, it sits almost in a, well, almost all, all of them are in a different generation. And at the end of the day, you can see that the vast difference between how younger generations start to view how they interact with companies. They want to feel like they're a part of something. They want to feel like there is some form of community. They want to belong to something. And we put a massive amount of focus on community. It's helped us build our business to where it is now. It's going to help us build it to the next level and the level after that. And it means that we listen and we understand what our clients need and wants and we build based on that. And I think that connection to our client the ease and operation that you have uh, with the UI and UX and the fact that we're available and transparent separates us from almost everybody else. Right. Okay, let's, uh, I want to be a bit provocative now because we, we see a lot of, uh, of, of solutions coming into the market that are enabling native, native settlement of crypto payments. And uh, one could say it's that perhaps that's bypassing the need for, for an exchange. So, so in your view, how sustainable is the exchange business model? I think the exchange business model isn't going anywhere. Um, and I think at the end of the day, when we talk about exchange, like I mentioned in, the, in, in, in a previous question, we talk about, I talked about how a bank is very similar to an exchange. Now, not every exchange offers the same type of services a bank does. In fact, no exchange offers all services a bank does currently. However, I think it, what's happening with exchanges, you're starting to see a multifaceted approach. When it comes to CoinMetro, it's not just about the exchange from one asset to another. It's about giving ease of access into what I would what DeFi, you know, decentralized finance, 
which for most people, when we talk about learning curve, that's off the charts. Now, DeFi has a lot of really cool things about it. One, obviously, being decentralization. Decentralization is going to make large changes across traditional finance as well as in this industry that we're sitting in. Mm -hmm. However, decentralization, in many ways, hinders one's ability sometimes to, to access something. And that sounds crazy, but the reality is, is that decentralization comes with its own cons. And it has a lot of pros, but it also has cons. What we do is we, we create a gateway. We create a gateway, a centralized gateway, an easy gateway for people to gain access to a hybrid market, meaning it's a hybrid between decentralized and centralized services. And those can be things like passive income products. Those can be things like like quasi-banking products uh, and, and, and other things. Now, when it comes to payments, you know, if you look at the payment space now in traditional finance, there's a myriad of options, a myriad of options. You obviously have credit cards, you have instantaneous transfers from banks, the micro payments that come off people's phones, etc. Mm -hmm. That hasn't stopped banks from expanding. That hasn't stopped banks or, or, or multifaceted infrastructures from being able to thrive in the market. So I think what we're going to see over the next probably five to 10 years is a hybrid model is going to come, come to life. You're going to see truly decentralized products that can operate in a regulated environment mm -hmm. that maybe have some portions of their of their infrastructure decentralized, but very small portions, but if the vast amount of their infrastructure is decentralized. And payments is probably gonna be one of those things. However, when you talk about true decentralization, you're leaving out the fiat or the cash element because mm -hmm. cash can be decentralized. Yeah. So there's going to have to be always those gatekeepers that allow people into that market. And there's also going to be a, a need for education. There's going to be a need for community. There's going to be a need for people, a place where people can get help. And, and decentralization doesn't provide any of those things. And so I think we're going to work together to create what I would call a hybrid model where there is kind of centralized order books and, and other pieces, maybe centralized KYC, know your client. Those things are going to remain centralized. And you're going to need a gatekeeper to actually go through those those different processes. And then you're going to have decentralized elements. And and we're, we're already working on that hybrid model. We already have hybrid products. And I do think that's the that's the future for this market. All right. You, you touched on, on the aspect of community a few times in our conversation so far. Uh, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to, to find out more about it. Tell, tell me what, what's the role that community plays in, in, in the value proposition of, of CoinMetro? I think it plays a role almost in everything we do. And so, you know, I've, I've run a lot of companies in the past in every sector you can imagine. And I've never had the opportunity, uh, you know, and sometimes I guess this sometimes can feel like a curse as well, but I've never had the opportunity to run a company essentially almost like in, in, in a uh, reality show. Right. Essentially, 24-7, you are under the light, literally, uh, in the spotlight, and people can ask you questions anytime they want. They have constant access. And, you know, initially, that was that was pretty difficult. It, it was hard because, you know, as a CEO of a company, you have a fiduciary responsibility, normally, to your shareholders. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, you know, to your clients, and then, you know, depending on what type of company you have, you have other fiduciary responsibilities. Here, though, especially in a tokenized entity, you, I have fiduciary responsibilities not only to shareholders, but to token holders. And mm -hmm. on top of that, obviously, clients. And many, most of our clients are token holders. Mm -hmm. And then we have this aspect of community. And so, you know, I got to be honest, initially, it was, it was difficult to figure out how to prioritize between those very different and very important sectors of our business. Uh, but at the end of the day, we've, I think, adjusted to the point where community has become such a massive aspect of our business. Our investors are now part of our community. Obviously, our clients are part of our community. We have people that aren't clients that are part of our community. And it really gives us this massive springboard where we can be just ultra transparent and ultra honest, ask questions, 
get feedback, understand, look, is this something you want? Does this work for you? Why doesn't it work for you? It's, it's almost like having, you know, it's almost like constantly being able to just jump in to someone's home, uh, you know, virtually and just ask them while they're using the product. How's that look? Do you like that? Does that work for you? Is that too difficult? Do you understand the process? Um, and it's really allowed us to fine tune not only our product base and, and the services we offer, but it's given us the ability to, to kind of, I guess, be a better company because you're kind, when you do something wrong, not only, you don't have to wait for a board meeting to talk to an investor to let them know you did something wrong. You're going to find out about it immediately and in mass. Hmm. Uh, and, I, and I think now, if you ask me whether that's you know good or bad, I would say it's it's huge and it's good. It's it's massive and it's probably one of the best things we've built in terms of a company is our community. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right because uh, just thinking about it almost no financial service institution has a community per se. They have, they have clients and that's it, right? I, I think with the exception perhaps of Monzo, which one of the neobanks in the UK yeah, that, that have successfully managed to build a community of users, this is really quite revolutionary for the industry. Uh, absolutely. And like I said, I know the reasons why they don't. Because it, 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 to me, it was scary. I, I was pretty scared. I was like, well, I don't know how this is going to work. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, knowing, no, having, having even worked in customer service, I mean, when, when, when my FX brokerage launched all those years ago, uh, it was me and one other guy. And, and we did everything from, right. you know, accounting to customer service to, you know, well, you can name it. And customer service is a tough job, man. I, I tip my hat to everybody out there that works in customer service. It's not easy. Yeah. And so it was, it was a scary proposition, but I got to tell you that I think every company, especially as the thing I touched on earlier, which is just generational speak, generationally speaking, mm. the new generations want to feel like they're a part of something. They don't want to invest or, or transact with something that's just there to be there, that's there to just make money, that's there to just, they want to feel a part of something, they want to make change, they want to, you know, actually affect change. And so I think it's, I think every company is going to go down this path. It's going to take some time for that adoption to happen, but I think everyone's going to head down this path. More yeah. open community. That's very exciting. Now, um, we often hear that perhaps the main concerns uh, that, that customers have about, about exchanges are the fees, the, the issue with liquidity and, and security. So can you briefly tell us how does CoinMetro address these concerns? Absolutely. So when it comes to fees, we have some of the lowest fees in the industry and we always have. We didn't have to grow to lower our fees. We started out as you know highly competitive, comparatively speaking, anybody else in the market. And the way we do that, obviously, is that we, we find services that we know our clients are going to need and we find multiple services that we know our clients are going to need. How do we know? Well, we ask them. Uh, and this way, we're not just, you know, making money on one service, i.e. exchange. We're making money now, low fees, lowest fees in the industry or close to it in, in, in every product we offer. But we're able to offer multiple services that most of our clients take advantage of. So we're able to offer those low fees. And our goal is, similar to what Amazon's goal was, you know, 20 years ago, was that as they grow, fees get lower, not higher. Uh, and that's that's our goal as well. We, we want to incentivize clients to do well not not incentivize them to you know essentially to lose money or push them down a path that makes them lose money happy clients means a happy business and so we always put our clients first when it comes to liquidity yeah liquidity is a, is an interesting thing in crypto you know i come from what is supposedly the most liquid market in the world fx mm -hmm. now i did video about four or five well, more than that now maybe 10 years ago about liquidity and fx and i'm gonna i'll give you a 30 second rundown of what that video was because i think it plays really nice with this question Essentially, it, it's the, at the time, they, 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 it was said that $5 trillion a day were transacted in FX. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like a massive figure. So when you hear that, you're like, well, yes, that's definitely very open. 
But when you think about that, 80% of that liquidity sits on one pricing pair, that's the euro dollar. Mm -hmm. And in terms of ticks, meaning changes in price, there's up to 120 a second. When you do the math at 120 a second over the course of 24 hours and 80% flowing into one asset, that means even in that most liquid asset, it's only 80,000 US dollars per tick. And when you break it down to the other 100 or so assets or asset pairs that exist, it's, it's not very liquid. And so I'll take that into crypto now, which is on the face of it, a very illiquid market. Now, what most exchanges do is they market make inside of their own order books, meaning that they apply liquidity, whether that liquidity is quote unquote available or not, mm -hmm. that liquidity sits in the book and allows for transactions to happen inside of that liquidity. And essentially on the other side, that exchange is, is, is off placing that risk somewhere else. So there is some, whether that be through futures or options or just directly into somebody else's spot order book, they're essentially taking your trade, they're taking the other side of it, and then they're trading against you somewhere else. Hmm. And while that's not a bad thing per se, it goes against kind of the modus operandi that I've always thought that I always thought that I wanted to follow in retail. And that's I don't want to do anything that's potentially in contrast to what I want for my client. So we don't trade against our clients. And that makes the business for us of finding liquidity even more difficult. We work with some amazing liquidity providers. I would say that you need to remember as well that liquidity and volume are not the same thing. And so when newcomers come to the market, they may see low volume on an asset and assume it means low liquidity. Not, not exactly. When, when market makers generally work on an asset, you can think of them like credit cards. If you've ever, I'm sure every, most people listening have had a credit card at some point in their life or have, you know, 20 of them right now sitting in their wallet, hopefully not maxed out. Right. You know, and, and so when it comes to credit, if you have a credit card with a limit of say 5,000 and you don't use it, what normally happens is the credit company will come in at one point a year later, two years later and say, we've lowered your limit to 2,500 mm -hmm. because they only have a certain amount of credit they're willing to give. And if you're not using it, they don't make money. It doesn't make any sense for them to give it to you. Mm -hmm. And so with liquidity provision, it's the same thing. It's dynamic, meaning if there's low volume on an asset, there's going to be a low amount of available liquidity at that initial price because a market maker or a liquidity provider doesn't want to put too much credit into the book if no one's using it, but as it gets used, expands so it's dynamic so i just want to throw that out there as well so how we deal with liquidity problem is that we deal with regulated liquidity providers uh, ones that i've dealt with for years in the fx market that have now transitioned to crypto as well and also liquidity aggregators that are also regulated that bring liquidity in from multiple providers and and allow us to uh you know pass orders off into that much larger liquidity pool and uh, and yeah at, at the end of the day as this market grows we're going to see uh, liquidity grows well that's obviously inevitable but right now where you see the most liquidity quote-unquote liquidity of market is generally that company simply providing in mass their own liquidity in the book and again like i said i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that in fact it's the business model that most banks use when they price anything whether it be you know equities whether it be bonds whether it be uh, fx and foreign currencies so it's fine you need market makers to make a market but in terms of ethics for a coin metro, it's something that we just don't do. We don't want to make money when our clients lose. Simple as that. Now, let me ask you, um, you're incorporated in Estonia, that's right? That's correct, yeah. So, I'm curious to know, what, why do you choose to incorporate your company in Estonia? And specifically, how do you deal with, with challenges that might exist with regards to access to talent? Because we know that Estonia is a small country. So, how do you go about uh, yeah, de dealing with those challenges? 
Sure. So you said it's a small country. That's actually one of the reasons. You know, small countries uh, that are well governed tend to be progressive mm-hmm. because they have to be. Uh, you know, if you're a small country and you don't have a major industry, you need to you need to do something to make sure that that you could be prosperous. And so Estonia, you know, when I was looking for regulation back in 2017, I wanted to start this business under some regulatory umbrella. Mm-hmm. I absolutely did not want to go into this world of exemptions or you know no regulation because, from my experience, now my while it might take a long time for this kind of risk to emerge, there's a major risk in that eventually, you know, your your kind of prior crimes come to haunt you, basically, right? So when you do things that you not shouldn't be doing, even if there isn't a specific regulation, eventually those things come to light and, it, and it's going to hurt the business. Even if you operated, you know, ethically and honestly, unfortunately, uh, it's still going to be difficult when, when regulation comes if you're, if you're unregulated. So looking for a regulated point in the world, there was only a few locations. There was Japan, but to be very honest, if I don't speak Japanese, one, I've never, you know, I've been to Japan, but I have no roots there. I don't, I don't really understand the culture as much as I probably should. And so at the end of the day, it didn't make much sense for us. Also considering that, you know, businesses regulated in Japan get regulated in Japan to service the Japanese market. They, you don't go to Japan to service Asia Pacific or Asia in general or Europe for that matter. Mm. You go there to serve Japan. So, uh, and the only the only player in the European market that had a license at the end of 2017 was Estonia. Mm-hmm. So Estonia, what was then AMLD5, it, it, it hadn't even been fully redacted yet. So it wasn't even law at that point. They took one of the, basically one of the readings and went ahead and made a licensing structure based on the AML law. So they created it through their AML act and they created a licensing structure for crypto. And I said, well, that's a great place to start then. I think that that makes sense. So I had previously thought Georgia and, and for those in the US, that would be the country. The country, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went to Georgia and thought, you know, this is a nice kind of Eurasian middle between Europe and Asia. It might make perfect sense for us. Um, unfortunately, things didn't work out. Very quickly, I understood that Georgia probably wasn't going to be the right stepping stone for us. I had read a story about Estonia that in November, tw- I think it was November 27, 2017, they passed these licenses. And so I got on a plane from Georgia, ended up in Estonia. Uh, it was it was January 28, 2018. Got off the plane. Uh, within two days, had hired my first employee. Uh, within four days or five days, already had some office space. On my seventh day there, I literally got a private tour of the prime minister's uh, office. And, and you know, on some off chance, you know, I like to say that in Estonia, you know, in the world, they say there's seven degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Estonia, there's one. Right. Uh, so, you know, if you need to speak to someone, it's literally just asking one person you may know, and you'll eventually get to the person you need to speak to. And and that's amazing. I, I, I've talked to the regulators. My initial talks to the regulators were my second or third week in Estonia. I asked a colleague of mine, a friend of mine that I had met, said, look, do you do you know how I can possibly get in to have a chat, you know, with the FSA or the FIU, et cetera, the, the different regulators in the country? I said, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I think I can get you a meeting. And with a phone call, I had a meeting with the FSA that same day, you know, 2 p.m. <laughs> and so that's amazing. I mean, if you've ever dealt with regulators and I've dealt with dozens and dozens, that just doesn't happen. A small, the small country or no small country, it just doesn't happen. And so that that was amazing. Plus, obviously, Estonia, you know, it's it's history with uh, unicorns, uh, most unicorns per capita in the world. Uh, also, an amazing story, great narrative. Um, you know, the government has been has been very supportive. We've also been there to help out. You know, the government when when they had their first licensing efforts, we told them they needed to do more. We helped them redact their second revision of the licensing. Now they're in their third revision, and I think at this point, 
it's probably some of the most comprehensive regulation in Europe. In comparison, you know, Netherlands might be close to being on the same the same level. But outside of that, and well, I guess Germany, because Germany has always uh, adapted. Boffin basically used existing regulations, so it was quite comprehensive. But in terms of new regulations, specifically for crypto, I think Estonia is, if it, you know, is number one or tied for number one in the EU. So they they've done a good job. It took it took them a bit to get to that point, but they've done a good job at making sure uh, that they're doing everything they can to to, to make sure this this market progresses. Yeah, I think that's that's incredibly counterintuitive because. Uh... What you're saying basically is that Estonia's small size is actually a competitive advantage, and so is its stringent regulatory environment. Uh, you're you're not the, f the first company I've heard has actually relocated to Estonia because they were looking for the most stringent regulation around crypto because that validates their business model, right? Uh, correct, correct. You, you can't. You know, at the end of the day, regulation is needed, right? Mm -hmm. we, we need regulation to make sure that this market is clean. Uh, that operators are doing the right thing. We also need to protect clients. You know, need, and, and without regulation, insurance is not going to mature in crypto, which means that at the end of the day, uh, if something happens to an exchange, there might not be coverage. And so, you know, regulation brings in a lot of things. It brings in banking rails. It allows us to do business outside of our own sector and bring in additional clients. It allows many, many things that unregulated industries just don't have. And so regulation is of utmost importance because of that. Now, having said that, we need to be involved in regulation you, mm -hmm. you know to make to make a change to try and get regulators to understand the intricacy to this market to try to make them understand how you really can mitigate risk to make them understand that it's not the same as any other market that's ever existed because of how dynamic assets can be they can be one thing today and one thing tomorrow they can be traded like one thing and they can be bought and sold like another and so in order to do that if you try to do that from the outside meaning just you know yelling loudly Mm. from being, being unregulated, you're not going to get listened to. And so you need to be part of that movement. And, I, you know, I would say to every operator out there that wants to maintain their business and do well by their clients, you need to proactively look for regulation rather than run away from it. And when it, yeah, and when it comes to size, it is a bit counterintuitive, but I, I would I would almost, I would equate that to many other things in life. Sometimes it's not about quantity, it's about quality. Mm -hmm. uh, and most time that's the case. And I think because of the fact that there's not a lot of quantity in Estonia, they have to focus on quality. Uh, you know, the talent pool here is is, is exceptional for the size of the country. Mm -hmm. Also something that was quite surprising to me. I, I didn't, re I, not that I expected, you know, that there'd be no talent in the country, but you know, you, I've been to cities with 1.3 million people and the talent pool was, you know, weak. Yeah. Uh, and here we're talking about a country with 1.3 million people but actually a quite exceptional talent pool. Uh, and that's also, that's also something that surprised me at least when I, when I arrived this time. Mm -hmm. Now that's, that's incredibly insightful. So, so I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, let's, let's just close. Uh, tell us a little bit about your vision for CoinMetro and specifically, I'd like to know what role do you expect it to play in the financial services ecosystem within, let's say the, the next uh, five years? Sure. So, you know, I think, you know, our vision, our mission, et cetera, has never really changed. Um, you know, sometimes you change a few words on a page because, you know, you want to make it sound a bit better, uh, you know, to outwardly to people. But at the end of the day, the mission's always been the same. Mm -hmm. I have, I have the, the retail customers generally get the short end of the stick. And when I say retail, I mean pretty much everybody in the world except, you know, the 1% or people working for institutions. And that has to change. You know, for the world to progress, for us to move away from, from all the wrongs that currently exist inside of traditional finance, we need to change that. And, and, and we've, we're trying to spearhead that change. We're not the only company trying to spearhead that change, but there's only a few of us, I think, in this industry 
that truly want to make that change. I, I see a lot of companies now doing the same things, the same things against their clients and the same things that generally people don't like or don't care for in traditional finance now in crypto. And, and I think I think that's just the wrong way to go about it. So, you know, our goal over the next years is to make sure that one, regulation becomes smarter, becomes cleaner, not only works to protect clients, not only works to protect their interests, but also works to make sure they don't lose access to opportunity. You know, barring someone from investing in something because you think they're not smart enough to understand the risk actually induces risk. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that that needs to be pushed through and we need, you know, smart people to help push that narrative through to make sure that the regulation does become uh, different and dynamic. And so that's definitely something that I see in our future. I also see that over the course, we're going to become something of, I guess, like a bank ourselves. I hate to use that word because I think bank is almost a dirty word now in our society. <laughs> you know, nobody likes banks. But with the, for the lack of a better word to, to really understand kind of the dynamics here, we're talking about a multifaceted system where, you know, whatever you need to do in terms of finance, whether that be buy and sell something, whether that be pay for something, whether that be receive money, send money, whether that be invest, whether that be receive passive income, you name it, all those things can happen on a platform. And even if you're not crypto savvy, it gets to the point, if you can, and this is a bit of a, a US reference because that's where I grew up, but when I grew up, AOL, not when I grew up, I was already, I wasn't old, but I mean, I, I wasn't I wasn't a kid really, but when AOL came onto the scene, right? I was I was on the internet already for a few years, mm. it, you know, basically connecting to bought modems and that stupid sound you used to hear, <laughs> you know, 20 minutes while you tried to connect. I was already, but my mother wasn't on the internet, my grandmother wasn't on the internet, nobody's grandmother was on the internet. Well, maybe somebody's was, but definitely not mine. <laughs> And so what happened was, is now people use the internet without even knowing they're using the internet. They just pick up their phone, they click on an icon, they're using the internet. It's, it's you don't have to think. Mm. And that's that's where we're gonna go with crypto. And so you may interact with our platform in five years and and think, or, or just know that you know, you're taking your paycheck and you're paying a bill in, in maybe even another country. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you, and, and it's easy for you, you just click a button. On the backside though, blockchain and crypto and digital assets are all being used to transact that in real time for next to no money. And I think that's that's where we're headed. We're headed to a, we're gonna, all we, all we wanna do, the simple task that we wanna, that we wanna handle here is that we wanna make finance accessible and easy to use. The crypto element is, is the cool nuanced guy on the block. And we love crypto and we're gonna support it. But at the end of the day, there's always gonna be something new and nuanced. And the goal here is to have a fintech platform that supports that new and nuanced without you needing to understand how to use that new and nuanced piece of technology. That's the idea. And so I, I, I see us as kind of, you know, a, a, I don't know if something exists like a point metro in five years right now. I think we're gonna see a big change to how people interact with their finances, with their money. And, but I guess the, the easiest way I can compare it is kind of something like a bank that you actually don't hate to talk to or communicate with. I guess is the, the best way I can describe it. Um, Kevin, it's really, really fascinating listening to you. Thank you so much for spending time with us. You're very welcome. Thanks, thanks for the invite. I appreciate it.